Well, aren't we fortunate to have Millard and Dallas to play during our offertories? What a beautiful gift music is to all of us. Well, five weeks ago, we celebrated the fourth of the seven events that are essential for our spending eternity with our Lord. The first, of course, is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate as Christmas. The second was when Jesus was 30 years of age. He traveled to the Jordan River where John, his cousin, was immersing people under repentance. And Jesus appeared to be immersed, and John said, wait a minute, I, I, I should be immersed by you, not my immersing you, but it was the will of the Father, and so Jesus obediently said, suffer it to fulfill all righteousness. And as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and the language tells us that he did not just land on Jesus. He rested and remained. And from heaven there was the voice that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The third event, of course, is that horrible thing that we commemorated five weeks ago last Friday, the crucifixion. It is good for us once a year to stop and focus intensely upon an event that is so horrible we want to look away. We don't want to put our eyes upon what really happened on the cross. But it's important for us to do so, to grasp in some way how much God loves us and what it took to redeem us from our sins. And of course, the fourth event, the glorious resurrection day when Jesus came forth from the tomb, victorious over the grave, a day of great rejoicing. The next day was the ascension, when the apostles and Jesus were on Mount Olivet, about ten city blocks outside of Jerusalem. And as they watched him, suddenly they realized his feet weren't touching the ground anymore. And he ascended to heaven and hadn't gone far before a cloud enshrouded him. The next event, the day of Pentecost, a week from this coming Sunday, two weeks from today, in which the Holy Spirit fell as Jesus poured out this, which for one thing gives power for witnessing, but also as the Holy Spirit indwells us, that's the guarantee that we are his. And the last great event is still in the future. When in God's timing the trumpet will blow, the heavens will be parted, and Jesus will come for those who are his to spend eternity. We look forward to that, don't we? When our Lord appeared on Resurrection Day, and we've spoken of this before, on Easter Sunday, 
He appeared many times on that very day itself. First to Mary Magdalene in the garden. She thought he was the gardener at first. And then when, she, when he spoke, she recognized his voice. Rabboni. The second was the women who had come to the empty tomb and found it empty. And they were rushing back to Bethany to tell the disciples, The tomb is empty. And on the way, Jesus appeared to them. Sometime that day, he appeared to Peter. And that night, as at least ten of the apostles or disciples were in the upper room, suddenly Jesus appeared in their midst, had come through a door that was closed. And he said to them, Peace be unto you. It's interesting that he said that shalomly. That is the normal greeting of a Jew. Nothing even great about it. That's just the way they greeted each other. Peace to you. If you, if you met a man, you would say, Mashlomek. If it is a woman, Mashloma. How's your peace? It's like today we say, How y'all doing? And the response is, Shalom. Mashlomek. How y'all doing? <laughs> Shalom. And Shalomly is just like saying, Good morning, good afternoon, good day. That was a Jewish greeting. And they were shocked when suddenly Jesus appeared in this room and with sort of like saying, hello, guys. <laughs> Shalomly, the normal greeting. <laughs> and they were stunned on that particular day. It seems he didn't appear to anybody till a week later when they were back in that upper room and the door was closed. But this time Thomas was there and he appeared again. And you, you know the story of Thomas, who had doubted but now believed because he saw the wounds in his side and his hands and fell before him and said, My Lord and my God. Some place along the way, and we're not told when it happened, but Paul says it did. He appeared to James. Jesus' brothers were doubters. And yet when James saw the resurrected Lord, he became not only a believer, but in time became an, an apostolic leader in the church at Jerusalem. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. And so they went to Galilee. And while they were there, seven of them decided to go fishing. And so they went out in the Galilean lake and they were fishing and they fished all night, hadn't caught anything, you know, and they, they said, we've labored all night and caught nothing. The way they fished was labor. I don't know how you fish, but when I was a boy, I fished a lot. I hadn't been fishing since I was 19 years old, but with my dad, a cane pole, a float, a line, a sinker, a hook, and a worm on the end, sometimes a middle, sometimes a helgramite. That's a lazy way to fish. There's that old song, lazy bones, sleeping in the sun. How do you expect to get the day's work done? Sleeping in the noonday sun, sleeping in the noonday sun. And when you go fishing, you just keep wishing the fish would stay off of the line. Now, you could do that with a cane pole. <laughs> but when I went with my uncle, it was fly fishing. I tied my own flies, and uh, that was work. <laughs> But think what these guys did. They were out in a boat with a drag net, and all night long they were rowing and pulling the net in. So it's not unusual that when Jesus appeared on the shore and they didn't know, have you caught any fish, Lord? Or, Sir, we, we, we've labored all night. It was work. 
And Jesus said, well, put your net on the other side. They didn't. He caught so many fish. He was going to break the net. And Peter realized it was Jesus. He jumped in the water, swam to shore. And here, note, Christ had a breakfast prepared for them. <laughs> fish. Now, he hadn't been fishing. Where did he get those fish? Well, the man that made heaven and earth had no problem making fish. Where did he get the wood? How did he start the fire? No big deal for Jesus. On this occasion, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Finally, do you love me more than these? Then he had designated a mountain. And we don't know exactly how many days later, but some days later, they went to this designated mountain. Paul says at one time, Jesus appeared to 500 people all at the same time. This probably is when that happened. That on that mountainside, probably before the 500, certainly before the 11, Jesus gave the Great Commission in its fullest form. Throughout his life, he had, throughout the ministry, he had given the Great Commission. He'd given it more than once after his resurrection. But the clearest giving of it is here in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that records that particular event. And then the next record we have is the one that would be commemorated next Thursday. If we were a liturgical church, next Sunday we would be, next Thursday we'd be celebrating as the Feast of Ascension. <laughs> and even though we don't, I think we do well on that day to pause and thank God for the Ascension of our Lord. The day began again. They were in the upper room, the same room, probably the, a room in the home of John Mark's mother. That seemed to be where they gathered from time to time. And again, Jesus is with them. This time we're not told about how he appeared, but he was with them. The Greek, which is we often translated as we gathered them together, the Greek can actually mean he was dining with them. So they were in the room together, and Jesus began to talk to them and talk about things concerning the kingdom. He talked about that often in his ministry, which they never understood. And then he led them out across the book, Kedron, to Mount Olives. Now, uh, Lord, you're ta is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Notice restore, because in their minds, the kingdom was when the kingdom of David and Solomon would be restored in its fullness. Israel would become the center of the world and Jerusalem its capital. That was their expectation. And Jesus said, it's not up to you to know the epochs and seasons. These things belong to the Father, but you. Don't you leave Jerusalem until you receive the immersion in the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Do you notice how prophetic that was? It's been 1,988 years since Jesus ascended. 1,988 years that he gave that command and promise. We've seen it fulfilled, haven't we? Wasn't it interesting when the Hines were here, they talked about was a decade or two at the most before every language in the world will have a Bible in that language. And right now some of those languages don't even have an alphabet. And so some are creating a written alphabet 
so they can have a Bible. Jesus was prophetic when he said, you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and yes, the uttermost part of the world. And that has been fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled. He said, my, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to every nation, ethnic, which means every ethnic group. Then come at the end. How close are we to that being true? Who can say? <laughs> but we look forward to it, don't we, to that day. And then, as we said, he said, wait until receive the Holy Spirit and you shall receive power. Sometimes the King James translates both exousia, which means authority, and dunamis, which means power as power. Horrible idea because it gives some strange ideas to us sometimes. This time it is dunamis, power. There will be power given to you. Don't do a thing until that happens. And they waited 10 days, and it happened. And the gospel began to move across nation after nation after nation. Let's think about some of these things this morning. First of all, Jesus said, don't do anything until you receive the immersion in the Holy Spirit. It is God's will and God's plan and God's design for the kingdom to grow, to be built, to be advanced through the Holy Spirit. That's hard for us sometimes because we think, well, he needs a little help. So we come with this gimmick or that gimmick and... I can sell something. Maybe I can sell the gospel. Striking to me to notice how Paul describes his ministry in Corinth. Now, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves, he moves working miracles. That's what he did in Ephesus. It's amazing to read the, the account in Ephesus that even concerning Paul says he was performing extraordinary miracles. Extraordinary. What kind of miracle is not extraordinary? <laughs> But in Corinth, you read the record in Corinth, there's not a record of a single miracle. As a matter of fact, later, as Paul was writing about it, he said, now we came and we, 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 we didn't preach excellent speech. He said, the Jews are looking for signs, are miracles. The Greeks look after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, which to the Jews is a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So he said, even though the Jews are looking for miracles, that's not what we're about. And then in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, he says, We did not come with ex extraordinary speech. And then a few verses later, we did not come with persuasive speech. In other words, I didn't come as a great order to all everybody, nor does I come as a salesman to persuade people. But I came just to present the truth about Jesus Christ crucified. And he said it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, anointing the message, anointing the word, opening hearts, that one of the largest churches to come into existence during the apostolic era came about because the Holy Spirit was moving through the word. 
Why does the Holy Spirit work miracles one place and another place just do it through the Word? I don't know. That's God's business, not mine. <laughs> and I need to rejoice in however He chooses to do it. Just rejoice He's doing it and pray more and more that He will. And never forget to pray, Oh God, may the fire fall. May the Holy Spirit fall because it's the Holy Spirit that will do the work of God, not our systems or techniques. Some weeks ago when Jim Price spoke, he spoke, emphasized that point. that We need to be led by the Holy Spirit as he presented the Engels scale. You know, along the way, we do this, we do this, we do this. Holy Spirit moving and all of that. And here's the person the Spirit touches. Next time the Spirit touches that person. Next time the Spirit touches that person. Finally, the Holy Spirit draws the net and they're in. How do we do that? that? That's always been a challenge for me. And I wonder, here's something that's happened to me lately. I wonder if this is the Holy Spirit. I, I ponder this with you this morning. When I go to Walmart... I am emotionally moved as I see desperate people, desperate people. I see a young woman on a bitterly cold day in short shorts trying to display her wares. <laughs> that poor creature, vanity is where she finds her worth, not in God. I see a crippled man who can hardly walk. And you can tell he's having to count his pennies. Oh, God, I'm touched. I see a woman with little children. And you can tell from their ragged clothes, they're needy. And I find the Holy Spirit motivating me to do this, to speak to them and say, may God's blessing rest upon you today and I mean it and I don't know what God's going to do with that but perhaps following the Engel scale that Jim presented <laughs> that's just one more little touch of the Holy Spirit into that person's life maybe God uses you a different way right now it seems that's the way he's using me but I know I cannot truly persuade anybody to accept Jesus. Oh, I can sell the gospel. I can do various things. But to really be real, the Holy Spirit has to do the work. You know, that's been so hard for the church through the ages. The Islamist forged the success of the Muslim religion across the world in just a few years after Muhammad's death, and they did it with a sword. In reaction, there were Christians who did the same thing and would conquer nations with the sword and now declare this is a Christian nation. It's never been God's will to conquer by the sword. What God said through Jeremiah to Zerubbabel when Zerubbabel was building the wall and there were powerful enemies that were rising now trying to stop them. And the Holy Spirit said this through Zechariah to Zerubbabel, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. If God's work is truly God's work, then God is doing it 
through the Holy Spirit. And as Bill said in our prayer meeting, we long to hear from God, to be guided by the Spirit. It's important we do that in all that we undertake in the name of Jesus. By the way, whenever we say there's power in the name of Jesus, we're doing something in the name of Jesus, it's not just the name. That can just be kind of a magic formula. The only way you can do anything in the name of Jesus if it is something he has commanded. That's what in the name of Jesus means. It means I'm doing it as his representative. I can't just go around spouting Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's not the idea at all. It is in obedience to him, the Holy Spirit under his authority through me doing whatever he has commanded me to do. It is important, my brother and sister, that we do not take out of God's hands what he intends to do, but cooperate with him as he is doing it. And each of us he uses uniquely by our personality, by our temperament, situations we're in, people we meet. I can't tell you how it is for you. I know how it has been in recent days at least for me. But they were told to wait. Have you ever thought about this, that one of the traits of one who is truly a person of God is the ability to wait, to wait, to wait. More than 800 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah encountered King Asa, who is not a godly man at all, and God sent Isaiah to speak to the king, and he said, you know, ask for a sign. God will give you any sign. Well, the king, fluffing it off, said, who am I to ask for a sign? Therefore, God will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and she shall name him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Half of that was given more than 800 years before the birth of Jesus. But that promise held out there. And then later, unto us a son is given, a king, the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. They had these promises. 800 years they waited. They waited. And they waited. And they waited. Not long after Isaiah gave that prophecy, Joel gave the prophecy that we see quoted on the day of Pentecost. God's going to pour out his spirit on your sons and your daughters, upon all flesh, so on. Sons are prophesied, old men dream dreams, so on. They had that one. They waited, and they waited, and they waited. But they waited believing. They were looking forward to the fulfillment of that, even though they didn't understand it. And after 800 years, it happened. Can you imagine what it was like when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. <laughs> and so they went back to Jerusalem, went to this upper room, and they prayed and waited. 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 <laughs> you ever notice that in Jesus' resurrection appearances, he never told anybody when he was coming he just showed up waiting 
is a part of the life of those who are true believers as we wait upon the Lord. We sing one song like that on Sunday morning, don't we? We wait upon the Lord. As Jesus ascended, the apostles were looking up in the cloud. (laughs) Suddenly there were two men, two angels. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus that you've seen go, it will come again. We've been waiting 1,988 years. (laughs) And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. My brother and sister, as we look back over the history of humanity, God has always kept his word. He kept his word concerning the virgin birth. He kept his word concerning the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. He kept his word about the birth of Jesus. He kept his word about Pentecost. He will keep his word about his return. We're waiting. We're waiting. Wouldn't this be a great day? We're waiting. We're waiting. Come, Lord Jesus, as we wait. This Thursday, why not take a little time just to ponder the ascension of Jesus and the promise that is associated with him. He is coming again. This morning we sang the song, Blessed Be His Name. We talk about the desert places, the wandering, the wilderness. I'm telling you, something in this body is is going on. We have so many people right now that are suffering in many ways. Mental illnesses, physical illnesses, people that are wounded in their soul and their spirit. Won't it be wonderful when there's a day that that's all gone? All gone. When Jesus comes again. John writing about that said, Brother, it does not yet appear what we'll be like, but when he comes, we'll be like him. (laughs) What a wonderful thing to think about. He's coming again. On Thursday, why not take a little time on Ascension Day to ponder that promise? And it would not be wrong to say, God, could it be today? And look to the heavens from the depth of our heart and say, I know it's in your timing, Lord, but come, Lord Jesus. May God be praised.